Hello, everyone, and welcome to Quinn Cummings Gives Bad Advice, the podcast where I, Quinn Cummings, give advice to people I do not know. If you're joining us for the first time, you may be asking yourself, does Quinn really want to give me bad advice? And the answer is no, I do not want to give you bad advice. I want to give you good advice. But I have absolutely no qualification to give you any sort of advice at all. I am not the CDC. I am not the EPA. I am not the WHO. I give advice because it amuses me to do so. So you might be asking yourself, will this advice I'm about to give you be good advice? Well, I think the answer is in the title of the podcast. If you want me to give you bad advice, you can leave a question for me at qcbad.com. It's completely anonymous, and better yet, it's completely free. So I can offer up this advice with a 100% money-back guarantee. Now, let's get started. My first question comes from qcbad.com. Subject, therapy. Dear Quinn, How do you choose the right therapist? I've seen three and ruled out one, but can't decide between the other two. What's most important in the relationship? I'm not sure because I don't know you. For example, if I were picking between two therapists, I would find myself gravitating towards the one who seemed to have a sense of humor, even in the darkest times. No, especially in the darkest times because that's how I manage the world. If a therapist kept asking me why I see the absurdity in this four-score and seven-years-long trip in a flawed meat suit, they may be a wonderful therapist, but they aren't my wonderful therapist. Decide whether you need someone who sees the world in a similar way to you, or whether you think you would get more out of someone who sees things in a diametrically different way. This isn't a trick question. Both are perfectly valid therapeutic models. If you enter into this relationship prepared to work, you'll get a lot out of either. Pick one and move forward. Hi, Quinn. My wife and I have been planning to visit our daughter in Okinawa for a few months now. Travel plans made pre-coronavirus outbreak. We're both in our 50s and fairly healthy, but worried about the potential of a viral illness making this a trip we would not want to remember. Should we cancel the trip or take the risk? This is all coming together, or falling apart, so quickly, the only thing you can say right now is that you have nowhere near enough information. Watch the State Department website. Watch the CDC website. Look into travel insurance. When you have enough information, you'll know. Good luck. This one comes from qcbad.com. Subject, Lazy Tween. Dear Quinn, you seem like a terrific parent, but you and kid also seem super smart and self-motivated. Any advice for the parent of a lovely and gentle and smart almost 10-year-old boy, only child, who is on target, above in reading, yay, but lazy in school? We cannot afford private, and our public is good, but I fear that he may fall through the cracks because he doesn't need or ask for extra help often. 
you know the phrase about never comparing someone else's outsides to your insides? I am very careful about what I put out there regarding my child. So I make sure you see the good bits. I will give you this. There were years where I am reasonably certain 33% of what I said was some variation of, have you finished your homework? Often, she would say yes. Far less often, it would be true. A free and frank exchange of views would follow. He's not lazy. He's almost 10. His brain is ramping up for the greatest change it will ever accomplish. The way I like to think of it is, Imagine a caterpillar in a cocoon. Later, it will leave the cocoon a butterfly. You'd think that if you were to, say, cut open the cocoon at the halfway mark, it would be half caterpillar, half butterfly, like maybe, I don't know, one wing. Please do not do this, because it would be sadistic. But let me tell you what the halfway mark actually looks like. I've seen pictures. It looks like goo. The caterpillar basically dissolves and recreates as the butterfly. The adolescent brain, the brain between childhood and maturity, is goo. And yes, not quite 10 is not adolescent, but it's heading there. Your son, while smart, has no frontal lobe to predict consequences, so he will be endlessly confounded that not doing his homework leads to his homework not being done. For now, you must act as his frontal lobe. You must point out there is a time beyond the present. You must help him prioritize. You must, well, nag. I found that sometimes creating a common calendar worked better than my nagging, if for no other reason than it's nearly impossible to negotiate with an inanimate object. If you think part of the laziness is boredom, and he is a word person, which it appears, Maybe try the website Duolingo, which is D-U-O-L-I-N-G-O, where he can use that ability toward learning up to 20 different languages for free. I can only speak for my kid, but she picked up a certain proficiency for Portuguese on there. I mean, I guess she's proficient. I would not know. I remember reading an article right around the time the kid was born, so now 20 years ago, that at some point in adolescence, our children fire us as their boss, but then decide whether they're going to hire us back as a consultant. You aren't there yet, but the things you do now to help him both manage his education and start predicting what he needs to do next will tell him whether or not he wants to keep your advice around. Be consistent, tell him the truth, and maybe promise to take him to a Vietnamese restaurant as soon as he can read the entrees in their original language. If you want, check in. Let me know how it's going. Keep me posted. Dear Quinn, Are you a hypocrite if you hide behind the First Amendment when you write some controversially funny tweet, but then you're seen criticizing others for expressing their First Amendment rights? Yes. Yes, you are. This one comes from QCBad.com. Subject, Preschooler Swim Party. My younger child will be turning four this spring. After two years of saying she doesn't want birthdays or birthday parties, so we just did a cupcake at home and a few new toys appeared, she's come around to the idea. She wants a pool party, 
and is very specific. She doesn't want small splashing pools. She wants her friends to swim with her in a regular pool. I have suggested lots of options, but she is set on a pool party. She can actually swim, and we go swimming kind of a lot. There are reasonably priced options with lifeguards all around here giving her what she wants. Am I the worst if I invite people to a preschooler party at which adults have to put on bathing suits? Is this a really bad idea that's going to result in more crying than an average little kid party? I feel as if it would be fine, but I take my two kids to the pool all the time, so I'm open to hearing that I'm completely misguided about how much other people want to do this. I think preschoolers want a great many things. Not all of them are feasible. Having the parents get in the pool with their kids to keep them safe is a big ask for a birthday party. Not everyone enjoys the pool. Not everyone is comfortable with their own level of swim prowess. Virtually no one old enough to have a preschool-aged child is entirely pleased with how they look in a bathing suit. Your daughter has her heart set on this. Okay. My suggestion is you reach out to the parents of her very closest friends in an email and say, Emily wants to have this pool party, but I want you, the parent, to have the chance to decide on this before we send the invitation out. Is this something that would work for you? If the answer is no, there are absolutely no hard feelings. You then create a list of families who are pre-approved, and those people get the invitations, and as quickly as is possible, you find your glorious child a swim team, so she has friends who want to be in the pool as much as she does. And if her name isn't Emily, you may use her real name. This next question comes from Twitter. Dear Quinn, my wife is selfish in bed. How can I make her more generous? Wow. So many thoughts at once. For one thing, no one can make anyone else more generous. Making someone more generous is usually pronounced guilting someone into something. And I really don't think I need to tell you this, but it is a very, very bad plan in the bedroom. Sex is a great many things, but it can never be coercive. Now, your wife is selfish. I'm not sure what that means. She gets what she needs. Good for her. She puts her needs ahead of yours and then vaults happily from the bed, laughing at your dismay? Maybe, but I doubt a person would marry someone like that. She used to be totally accepting of however you wanted to play it out, and now she has some ideas of her own? Yes, people change. Whatever it is you think you're describing, I'm concerned about the word selfish. If you love someone, you want them to be happy. She has found a way to be happy, and you have decided sexual pleasure is a zero-sum game, where her having more automatically means you have less. Well, that's on you. If you aren't happy with what it's been like lately, take her for a walk. Get some air. Talk without directly looking at each other, which can sometimes escalate fraught topics. Say to her, I love you, and I want all of our life to keep improving. Then, without using words like selfish, tell her what you need, what you've been missing, and not in a 
you never or you always kind of way. Keep it in I terms. Here is what I need. Then, having said what you need, and I cannot stress this enough, repeat that you love her and shut up. Dear Quinn, our kitten turns one on March 12th. We adore him. But how do we get him to stop biting us? It isn't as if he's trying to draw blood. We think he's just playing, but none of us like it. Your cat is bored and requires a cat friend who will modify that behavior by biting back. If you cannot see yourself getting a second cat right now, get a bunch of toys. Things like feathers on wires, which he has to jump to try to catch. Hide the toys. Only bring them out for special playtime once or twice a day. Work him until he is exhausted. The biting will ease up. Also, when he bites, don't react to it. Even negative interaction is still interaction. If he bites, the hand goes away, you go away. Biting doesn't mean more fun time. But honestly, a little cat friend would make all the difference. And as someone who works in kitten rescue, I'm obligated to note that if you don't see yourself doing a full-time second cat, you could foster kittens. He would have a ball, you would save a life, and you'd have a kitten in your house. What's wrong with that? This one comes from qcbad.com. Subject, anti-vaxxer. Dear Quinn, my daughter is 45. My grandchildren are eight and five. She is afraid to get them vaccinated. She believes in science-based facts like climate change, but not when it comes to vaccines. How do I convince her to protect them with vaccinations? Anti-vax isn't science. It's somewhere between a religion and a cult. And just for having said that, I have now bought myself about two weeks of misery online. Oh, well. Your daughter cannot be reasoned with because the combination of grifters and Russian bots amplifying anti-vax nonsense has caused her to live in a near-permanent state of panic, which is when the frontal lobe shuts down. You cannot reason with someone who is panicked. Add in that you're her mother, which makes even non-panicked adult women turn back into 14-year-olds, and I want you to know you were the last question I answered this week. This is how hard your situation is. A couple of thoughts. Do the children have a second parent in their lives? Is this someone who is as hardcore anti-vax as your daughter? Or is it someone who has decided to let your daughter be the category expert because she seems to have a lot of information? Have you ever talked to that person about your fears? Which leads to my second thought. One of the luxuries any anti-vaxxer under 50 has is the blessings of vaccinations. These diseases are abstractions to them. It's easy to be blithe and say things like, oh, it's just a childhood illness, if you've never seen a child choke to death with diphtheria. My mother's first memory was of the priest giving her last rites when she had mumps when she was three. Her mother was sitting nearby, sewing the dress my mother was to be buried in. Obviously, she got very lucky and lived with only deafness in one ear to show for the experience. Other children in her town weren't that lucky. 
During the polio epidemics, there were entire floors at hospitals dedicated to housing children in iron lungs. Adults aren't safe from childhood illnesses either. A friend had a stillbirth at six months because she was exposed to an unvaccinated child while pregnant, which can screw up the effectiveness of old vaccines. My smart and hilarious mother-in-law had shingles, a condition related to having had chickenpox as a child, 10 years before she died. Even after the shingles cleared up, she had a complication where the pain never went away. Every day for the rest of her life, she got up and decided whether she took the pain pills and felt better, but was basically a zombie, or she was present for her loved ones, but lived in unimaginable pain because she didn't take the pills. Anti-vaxxers know none of this because the rest of us, by vaccinating our children, allow them to indulge in this stupidity. Oh, I just bought myself another week of trolls. Tell her the stories you remember from your childhood. Explain what life was like before all the vaccinations we have now. And then, hard as it is, stop talking. If you push too hard, she can cut you out of your grandchildren's lives, and you can't do any good from outside. Finally, I've read a few stories about parents who were anti-vax until they weren't. Nearly every time what changed their minds was watching an actual illness. We are, as a country, about to confront a disease where there is no vaccination and there is a real mortality rate. Right now, anti-vaxxers are Marie Antoinette pretending to be a shepherdess with freshly washed sheep in a squeaky clean cottage behind Versailles. But the revolution is coming. Okay, I think that's enough bad advice for today. And remember, I can't give you bad advice if you don't ask for it. Your question doesn't have to be profound, complex, or emotionally demanding. It can be about pretty much anything because, let's face it, I am unqualified to offer advice across a wide range of subject matter. And as we all know, sometimes the nuttiest question gets the best bad advice. You can reach me on Twitter, at Quincy. That's Q-U-I-N-N-C-Y at Twitter.com. Or you can post a question to qcbad.com. Just log into letter Q, letter C, B A D.com, and there's a question form right there. The question can be any length, but I'm finding they work better if they're shorter. Just a hint. Before I go, I'd like to thank Richard Emmett, who composed my groovy music, and Keith Greenstein, who designed my groovy logo. People have already started asking me how they can get a bad advice fork in a toaster t-shirt or coffee mug, and my answer to them is, hang in there, we are working on it. I also want to thank Phil Rohr and Prime Rib Productions for making it possible for you to hear any of this. Okay, that's enough for now. Keep those questions coming, and I'll see you all next time. <laughs>